Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens. Drew, what's going on, man? Hey, nothing much, Matt. Just been anticipating talking to you for what's been like a week or so since we last spoke. So happy to be on here with you and talking some Wolves. It's kind of the downswing of the season. The Kevin uh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell, Russell Westbrook sagas are still kind of playing out, but um, to no avail so far. So um, just kind of figuring out what what to what to talk about. Uh, in the dog days of summer, as it were. Yeah, man. I mean, the NBA is being held hostage, which this happens. You know, I feel like every summer you get the delayed movement because some big names are trying to you know, get their way out of their current situation into new teams. And it's crazy. I think the Rudy Gobert trade might have thrown things off. I think that's kind of holding things back because big names like Durant and Irving and Mitchell – like, if Rudy Gobert can command, what, five draft picks, six draft picks? Five draft picks. It makes it a little tough to, to move these kind of guys. That's true. And the uh, DeAndre Ayton offer sheet slash yeah. matched offer sheet by the Suns kind of throwing a wrinkle into potential places that Kevin Durant could have landed. So, I don't know, man. It's kind of slim pickings a little bit for him right now. Um, in my mind, I still think the best option for him is just to play it out in, in Brooklyn and see what happens. I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's a, it's still a good situation, still a good roster. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Slim Pickens when we started on types of things you can focus on and talk about, but you actually were kicking around some ideas late last week when we were talking about recording, and you threw out the idea for this episode. So I'm going to let you set the table for what we're going to talk about today, because I think it's actually something that's really interesting and probably could be easily debated amongst Bulls Nation. Sure. So Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report released a ranking um, for every NBA starting five uh, that came out, I believe, maybe last Monday. So he ran through every team in, in the league uh, from top to bottom, ranked each team starting fives the best that he could, considering some of the starting fives obviously haven't played together before, i.e. like the Philadelphia 76ers or the the Brooklyn Nets, whatever becomes of their starting five. So, you know, he kind of went off subjective measures as well as the lineup data that he had from from last year. So I thought that would be something kind of fun to toss around and see where the two of us thought the Bulls might land as it relates to the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because you think it's a lot easier, but then when you actually look at like what that projected starting five is for each of these teams, it's a little tricky. And it, there's like this this grouping in the middle that is, is very interesting. And so um, I really enjoyed this exercise. So just real quick. So when we're looking at these, we're looking at everything equal. Health is not a problem. That's right. That's right. Health is not a problem. Uh, we're assuming that Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving will, will stay in Brooklyn. We're assuming that um, Donovan Mitchell is still with the Utah Jazz and nowhere near the Eastern Conference. So, um, you know, we kind of got to take this exercise with a little bit of a grain of salt, given what we have in front of us and, um, you know, accounting for every team being healthy. Yeah, and that and that's always an interesting factor. I will say, like, I think in the back of my head, I might have a bit of a bias when it comes to certain things. But we'll we'll, we'll get there in a little bit. But Bulls fans, you know who the starting five is for for this team. They're running it back. 
if everybody's healthy, it's going to be Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Patrick Williams, Nikola Vucevic. So, right, no surprises. Like, Drew, there's no wild card that you think could be in that starting lineup. If everybody's healthy, that's the starting five. Absolutely. No, that's the starting five. And obviously, we only saw this group together for a short amount of time, but it should be noted that they outscored opponents by 11 points in the 135 possessions that they're on the floor together. So, you know, if you want to factor that in, you can. You know, everybody who's listening um, knows that this group showed a lot of potential uh, before ultimately injury kind of derailed things for them. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because before that happened, the Bulls were first in the Eastern Conference or flirting with being with in the top of the Eastern Conference. And, you know, it, it's interesting probably at that time if we took this, did the same exercise, we probably would have the Bulls pretty high on the list in the Eastern Conference in terms of starting five. So um, that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of things that can make this go right. If Lonzo Ball plays nearly a full complement of games and – Patrick Williams takes a step. I mean, this could make things very interesting. But as it is today, um, let me ask you this first about the Bulls lineup. What are some of the potential advantages you see when you're looking at these other teams in the East? And then what are some of the disadvantages that you think you see? Um, I think some of the advantages are really they lie on the defensive side of the ball. You have two guys in – Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, who command the defense's best attention. Um, they can they can create their own shots. They're tough shot makers. But then you also have a guy like Vucevic, who's a, a very skilled big man who has the potential to be a pick-and-pop threat as well as a pick-and-roll threat on top of the passer that he can be kind of in the middle of the floor um, as a kind of a safety valve when – DeRozan and Levine are being being pressured or double, whatever the case may be. Um, what kind what they kind of lack is just the defense. You know, you have three guys in Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic, who, while they are the reason why the Bulls kind of can reach new heights offensively, they kind of cap what they can do defensively with, with their weaknesses. Um, you know, Levine played better. Uh, last season before he was injured. Um, I think uh, Lonzo Ball had a had a lot to do with that, kind of feeding off that energy, coming off the um, Olympic uh, run that he had and the role that he played for that team. But DeRozan and, and, and Vooch are kind of are what they are, especially DeRozan. I think depending on who's playing in front of Vucevic and then for this experiment, is Lonzo Ball. And as long as Lonzo Ball continues to be the player that we saw last year, being able to stay in front of his man and and um, defend the pick and rolls and be the point of attack defender we saw him be last season, I think that makes Vucevic better, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw what happened when Ball and Caruso went down and, you know, Ayo DeSumo was given um, – you know, a, a truckload of minutes and other guys were, were playing in front of Vooch who they just didn't bring the same type of defense to the table and they left Vooch on an island more often than not. So um, I think it's very clear that the Bulls starting five, that group, what makes them special is the offense. Um, 
And what takes away from that is that their, their three best players aren't the greatest defenders. The kind of wild card in that is Patrick Williams, obviously, and, and how he might grow next year. But it's also Lonzo Ball and what he can do on the defensive side of the ball to spark fast breaks and and help this team get easy buckets uh, in transition in, in the fast breaks and fast break scenario. So it's it's a little when when judging this starting five with with some of the other ones in the in the Eastern Conference. It's, you kind of got to look at both sides of the floor and, and figure out who, which team can take what away from the other team um, and just how that kind of factors into the bigger picture, I guess, if that makes sense. No, it does. And, you know, I, I think you brought up a really good point with Lonzo Ball. I actually think that is, as I was looking through these, that was like sort of the thing I kept coming back to is if Lonzo Ball really is healthy, it definitely shores up your defense like you made a great point there about how it even made you know Vooch's defense look a little bit better because Lonzo Ball is really good at guarding the pick and roll and also some of those things he did defensively did lead to better fast break opportunities it made the offense more efficient so I feel like he is really the the biggest factor in how the Bulls starting five stacks up against the rest of the Eastern Conference. Like, Patrick Williams, I do think, is right there after him. I think he's probably, like, number a really close number two where you can call it a, a, a 1A, 1B situation. But I think the biggest factor really is is Lonzo Ball. So, like, I'm in lockstep with that. And, you know, if, if Patrick Williams gives you improvement, which I think he is going to improve from last year. I think last year a lot of that was injury and lost time. I think if even he takes like a small step up this year, it's going to be an added bonus that, that can help. But to me, I, I keep coming back to Lonzo Ball. And there's some things that we saw when he was in the lineup and the Bulls were clicking on all cylinders. They looked like a, a team that could maybe stack up against some of the stiffer competition. They certainly did. And I'm not going to lie, hearing you <laughs> put that amount of value onto Lonzo Ball, which is well-deserved and is an extremely insightful uh point that you make it it it, man it really kind of just spoiled my mood just knowing what we know about his his uncertain status and um the amount of games he has and has not been able to play throughout his young career and oh man it's just such a wild card um Mm. heading into the season because I, i think you're i think you're absolutely right i think that um taking a step back he is the the catalyst, the engine for where this Bulls team can go, or at least the starting five can go relative to everybody else in the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. I I do have another point that I'm going to make a little bit towards the end when we're done talking about uh, the different starting fives and where we think they stack up against the Bulls. So let me start with the starting fives that we thought the Bulls were clearly better than. This was our unanimous selections here. We thought that the Bulls were better than the Knicks, Hornets, Wizards, Pacers, Magic, Pistons. So those were our obvious selections there. Um, real quick, I, I want to throw this to you. Is there a possible sleeper on that list that you think could potentially be better than the Bulls, or, or you wouldn't be surprised or shocked if they got into the conversation? No, I don't, I don't see any of these teams starting fives, leapfrogging the Bulls. I would just say that I'm intrigued to see 
what the groups in Orlando and Detroit can do together. Mm. Um, but they're, you know, they're young. Um, obviously, they, they in Jaden Ivey and um, Paulo Bencaro, they got two rookies on their team now. So expect, expectations for those groups should be a little tempered. But I think it's, it's one of the more intriguing storylines for the season. But I don't see them or any of those other four teams that we rank behind the Bulls, leapfrogging the Bulls this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we talked a lot about the Pistons on our last episode, and they had a really impressive draft, but I think a lot of people were surprised that I was really, really high on them. But I don't think you can say confidently that a young starting five like that is going to gel that quickly. Um, I think we might be having this conversation about them maybe surpassing the Bulls starting five in a year or two. It's very possible. But yeah, right now I just I don't know that the magic one is interesting. Like that's that could be a, a sleeper situation too. Like I, I could actually see Orlando improving a lot this year. Um, but again, if we just kind of compare starting fives, I don't. I still think they're a little young and maybe a year or two away from maybe getting to that point. But yeah, I th- those are I think two really intriguing ones with the Knicks. If the Knicks add Donovan Mitchell, do you think that improves their starting lineup? Is it help get it over the Bulls, or are they still not quite there? Because you're looking at, what, Brunson, uh, Fournier, R.J. Barrett, you would assume gets traded in that deal. So if you take him out, you're looking at Brunson, Fournier, Mitchell Robinson, and Julius Randle. I mean, does that trump the Bulls in that situation? I think they become more exciting, maybe, but I don't think with that without uh, proposed floor spacing, I don't, or the defense they would be losing with RJ Barrett. I don't, I don't think they would, would get ahead of the bulls with that move. They would make the matchups more interesting though, if if that means Mm -hmm. anything, but um, you know, for all of his talent, all of his scoring exploits, uh, I don't think he's enough to push that group by himself past the bulls. Yeah. I mean, that it would be very high scoring affairs for sure. And I, I think, I don't know, would they probably switch up the starting lineup? Would Fournier come out of it? And then do you throw somebody like a Cam Reddish in the starting lineup to kind of provide some defense? Because, like, you're right, that defensively that would be an, a nightmare, like, in a bad way for Knicks fans. It would be a nightmare lineup to throw out there defensively. Man, I like Cam Reddish, but he I don't think he's shown enough consistency yeah. with this shot. Uh, particularly from deep, in order to supplant Fournier and, and give the Knicks kind of what they what they would need if they were going to put that lineup out there. Like I think Fournier stays in the starting lineup just because of the threat that he he um, he is from deep, or just as a shooter in general. That's tricky it, it, because like you, you add a player like Donovan Mitchell and you think it's a big impact, but we saw Julius Randle take a step back, and if you go with somebody like Fournier, Fournier's a disaster defensively. I love Jalen Brunson, but I think there's still there's still more we have to see with an increased role and in playing starters minutes. I mean, he did that in the playoffs, but I'm not like 100% sold yet. So it's in a very interesting situation there in New York. When we look at the starting fives that you and I both said were clearly better than the Bulls, we agreed on the Celtics, the 76ers, the Nets, the Bucks and the Hawks. So with that group of teams we think that have better starting fives in the East than the Bulls, 
which teams do you think are head and shoulders better than the Bulls from that group? Man, head and shoulders better than the Bulls, I would say Philadelphia, Boston, and Milwaukee. I think those are the three teams that the Bulls starting group is definitely like looking up at in terms of just talent and overall strength, in my opinion. Do you see it that same way? Yeah, I do. I, I Real quick, I wanted to like kind of go through some of this with the 76ers. Harden, Maxi, Harris, Tucker, and Embiid, and I think that Tucker move puts him over for sure. Like, I think at that point it's a slam dunk. Like, I, I would definitely put the Sixers in that class. Celtics for sure. I mean, there's a reason that they're, you know, the now defending Eastern Conference champs. I'm trying to recall, did you say Nets also in your group there? Um, so I have them... Again, assuming that uh, Durant and Irving are there, I have them as being better than the Bulls, but not necessarily head and shoulders better, just because okay. there's a little uncertainty in, in going by the group that Bleacher Report believes Steve Nash will bring out to start games. He has Simmons as that starting five man, along with Durant, Irving, Joe Harris, and Seth Curry. So, Again, I believe they'll be – I think I see them as being better than the Bulls, but not necessarily head and shoulders head and shoulders better than the starting five here in Chicago. Yeah, it's always tough because, like, you kind of know me. I've, I've made the proclamation that I have a, a superstar fetish. And so um, when I look at the starting five and you just say Durant, Irving, I feel like that's the thing that kind of, for me, would put them maybe into that category of being head and shoulders above the Bulls. But, you know, in terms of – trotting what they're trotting out on the floor it's it's not a traditional lineup like when we talk about this new age of positionless basketball like right there's a definition of positionless basketball of Irving Curry Harris Durant Simmons so yeah I think those still like if you if you did like the comparison right if you're rating it Irving and Durant probably outweigh the Bulls duo of Levine and, and DeRozan but are Curry Harris Simmons better than Vucevic, Williams, and Lonzo Ball. Like, kind of unsure is it because of the Simmons factor? Yeah, that's that's where I'm that's where I'm at with it. And <laughs> this would be a good experiment in in the front mm-hmm. office's uh, faith and continuity because you have the Bulls with a group that has some experience playing together versus the Nets who weren't able to get Simmons on the court at all last year. And if they throw him into that lineup, you know, as a quote unquote five man, that's a, that's a position or or a space on the floor that he's never occupied. I think the plans were uh, back in the bubble with Brett Brown to try him, um, try him there with Embiid. But um, one thing he got injured before that could even take shape. So just the questions there with how Simmons fits into that equation, into that equation, how he looks um, with those, with that set of teammates. I, I guess that's, that's the main thing that's keeping me from saying that uh, they're definitely uh, head and shoulders above the, above the bulls. And the other one that we had was, and, and this one, we, we kind of talked about this offline too, about the, the Hawks. W- what made you put the Hawks over the bulls? Because this one was a tough one for me. I kept wavering back and forth. I think it was, for me, just the impact that DeJounte Murray can have on that five-man group. Um, you know, defense was the biggest Achilles heel for the Hawks last season. On top of just 
health in general, but they scored at such a rate that, you know, it made up for that to a certain degree. And now you throw a guy in there that has the uh, defensive capabilities that Murray does, and you have a rim protector in uh, Capella, a guy in Collins who, you know, I see him kind of get criticized on, on Twitter as not being the defender that maybe some of the analysts say that he is, but um, I still think he is formidable at worst. And just seeing that, that group together and, and seeing what Murray injects into that, that lineup, you know, that, that's, that's bolstered by a supernova in, in Trey Young, um, mm-hmm. as long as he's not guarded by Ayo Desumu. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think I'm just very interested to see what they can do, and I think they have done well for themselves in this conversation of the best the best groups in the East. Hmm. There's something about those backup Bulls point guards that just Trey Young struggles with. First, it was Chris Dunn, and now it's Io DeSumo. So hey, you know, this it's an interesting group. I, I feel like if everything goes right for this Bulls lineup this year, um. Lonzo Ball is there, healthy. Patrick Williams takes another step, and you're still getting the same production out of DeMar DeRozan, uh, out of Zach Levine. Even if Vooch is giving you what he gave you last year, I think then I might give the edge to the Bulls in that case. What do you think catapults the Bulls above the Hawks starting five? I think what you just said, not necessarily – I don't think it would take everything – going perfectly to plan um, for them to usurp the Hawks in the way that it would for them to kind of take that leap to get in the top three that we have. Um, But just Patrick Williams continuing to develop as well as Billy Donovan putting him in positions uh, to kind of succeed, better positions to succeed, you know, maybe giving him – more more repetitions as a pick and roll ball handler, which is something that, you know, in a small sample size, he did, he fared pretty well in last season. Um, DeMar DeRozan not taking too much of a step back from his all NBA caliber season. Well, I'm sorry, uh, MVP caliber, all NBA second team season that he had last, last year. Uh, Zach Levine looking like the guy that we saw before the knee injury, who was really playing at a, a fringe All-NBA level himself. Um, and Vucevic uh, just doing a, a better job of knocking down open shots and finishing around the basket. Again, it wouldn't take the perfect scenario for them to jump ahead of the Hawks, but there, there's still some ifs there that that I don't know that we would all bet on uh, if we had to. Um, for them to make that leap ahead of the Hawks. Now that we've looked at where we agreed on starting fives versus the Bulls, I wanted to get into some of the ones that you and I didn't necessarily see eye to eye on. There were three. So you and I disagreed when it came to the Raptors, Heat, and Cavaliers. So, Drew, for the Cavs, you had the Bulls as the better starting five. I went with the Cavs, but narrowly. Same when it came to the Raptors. You had the Bulls over the Raptors. I had the Raptors over the Bulls. And for the Heat, you had the Bulls. I had the Heat. So I'm definitely I'm a bad Bulls fan. I'm very pessimistic. I should have my fan card taken away. No, I mean, 
I'll, I'll just I'm gonna just start by saying this. I probably went back and forth and back and forth on these three. I easily could have gone with the Bulls over these three, but were you kind of the same way going back and forth, back and forth? I definitely was, and I think this this jumble of teams, not even just the Bulls, Cavs, Raptors, and Heat, but also when we kind of factored in um, who else we're looking at, the Hawks as well. Yeah. It, it, it really gave me a different appreciation for the national writers who have ranked uh, these teams or who do these rankings with, with players and teams just in general, because it really is not the easiest um, exercise to actually just kind of walk through and um, give your opinions on, at least not in, in, in my view. Um, and I went back and forth just like you did with the between the, the Bulls and Cavs and Bulls and Raptors and Bulls and Heat. And I think specifically with the Cavs and the Raptors, I think I just trust, again, all things being equal with health, I think I just trust the Bulls lineup more than I do those two particular teams, um, specifically the way that they can score the ball mm. in comparison to the Cavs and the Raptors, who – can wreak more havoc on the defensive side of the ball than maybe the Bulls can between yeah. you know, the Twin Towers in Cleveland and just the, the athleticism and the length that the Raptors possess. Um, but ultimately, like I said, I just kind of went with the, the trust factor there with the guys that the Bulls have on the floor and they're starting five. What, what kind of made the difference for you with those two teams specifically? Yeah, so with the Cavs, um, and I, we talked a little bit about the soft line too, I, I felt like – there's some intrigue there defensively. I I really do like the the Mobley Allen combination. It's unconventional for today's NBA because you usually don't see twin tower lineups, but it could easily go the wrong way and maybe there's too much redundancy, but I'm definitely intrigued by it. I love Darius Garland. Always been a big Karis LeVert fan. Say what you want about Laurie Markinen and like we we saw plenty of Laurie Markinen here in Chicago, but you know he's a pretty solid player and he's going to have a, a long NBA career. He's a starting caliber player in the league. And the intrigue there is you you're sliding him at the three. It was always something I, I kind of wanted to see here in Chicago and he showed some success with it last year. So I'm, I don't know. I just, there's a lot that I like there in terms of what the Cavs bring defensively to the table. And again, I think for me, I would put it over the edge was, when I looked at kind of like each player, I think it was pretty close, but to me the deciding factor was what's there at the four and five. And I, I'm i like you, I'm not really down on Vooch like some people, but I don't know, I do think that you know Mobley or Allen might have the slight edge, especially because of what they do defensively. Um, with the Raptors, I guess maybe I, I have a, you know, Fred Van Fleet, Pascal Siakam bias like I've always been big fans of those two I kind of like what they could bring also defensively so I think those were again the kind of deciding factors for me it was probably like like you said defensive end of the floor I thought that's where where these starting fives might might get the bulls okay okay and then I know that the the third team that we we yeah. disagreed on and oh man this this uh <laughs> I might catch some flack for this one but I did put the Bulls ahead of the Heat, and it has everything to do with PJ Tucker and <laughs> how his, his 
how his loss might affect that team. He was actually uh, in nine of the 10 most used lineups um, for the Heat last season. And with him now in Philadelphia, you know, Spolstra is faced with the possibility of throwing Duncan Robinson back in um, to the starting lineup and possibly moving Jimmy Butler up to play the four. Um, so they kind of would stay in that small ball kind of frame that they were with Tucker in the lineup. But Butler at the four, I just – Yeah. I don't I, – man. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Jimmy fan. Anytime his name comes up, I have to make that – had to make that clear as I feel like he gets a lot of flack from Chicago Bulls fans, rightly or wrongly, you know, fair or not. But um, I've always been a fan. And, you know, barring, you know, some sort of astronomical, just Liz Cambage type breakdown, which I guess he's threatened to do in the past. Um, I'm going to remain a Jimmy Butler fan. But yeah, man, I, I just I don't I don't know if I if I trust that lineup. And I know it's, it's crazy to say because they they were a Jimmy Butler three pointer away from what getting back to the fi- or, yeah getting back to the finals for the second time in the last three seasons, mm. but just you know you're counting on um, Kyle Lowry making it through a, a, a another season, um, the wear and tear that that may be on Jimmy Butler, and again you're, you're throwing Duncan Robinson back into a lineup with um, Max Struess, and I just don't know, just don't know, man. I, I yeah. think again, I just I feel like the Bulls starting five, all things being equal, can pull ahead there. Okay, so a couple of things. With Jimmy Butler, I, I'm usually not a Jimmy Butler apologist. I, I was one of those people that uh, I roll my eyes a lot at things that Jimmy Butler does. But one thing I will never deny is that he is a self-made superstar in the NBA and somebody who has – always gotten better, always proven me and other fans around the league wrong. And you got to give him his respect for that. That's probably one of the reasons why I'm intrigued by this lineup of putting Jimmy Butler at the four, because if there's anybody that could probably do it, it's probably him. You know what I mean? Like the thing with Butler, that's always been one of his biggest strong suits is that he's a pretty strong dude, and I feel like he can mess around inside a little bit. So I could see it working, and I never put anything past Eric Spolstra in the Heat. I'm jealous of the Heat. Like, I'll just admit it. Like, I don't hate the Heat. I'm just jealous of the Heat because they just always seem to make things fucking work when you just think they're they're down for the count. But you know what's interesting to me? I, I wonder if, is it Duncan Robinson or Victor Oladipo that slides in the starting lineup? Because I saw the article too, and Duncan Robinson's the one being projected. Is it possible Victor Oladipo slides into the starting lineup? That's a good point. I think I think for sure that's 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 an option there. You, know, you lose some three-point student, but you get a guy who, you know, has a little bit of shot creation, better athlete, uh, better defender too. So, man, like you said, with Spolstra in the, in the heat, they just, they always figure out a way to figure things out as it yep. were, you know, so I wouldn't put it past them. But again, you still are left with the possibility of playing Jimmy at the four. And while, while you make great points about him being a type of, of bulldog and the guy that has a, a certain mentality about him that, you know, he's not going to step away from or run away from that challenge. But 
I just wonder if you lose, if he loses some of what makes him special as a defender, mm. if he's going to guard some of the fours around the league. You know, a lot of times we saw Jimmy kind of play that that safety role. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how that might change if he's guarding guarding up a position. Yeah, I mean, like, we'd have to kind of think about this. Like, if you look at the fours around even just, like, the Eastern Conference, so he'd be going up against guys like, if we look at the Sixers, he's going up against P.J. Tucker. If he goes up against the Nets, he's going up against – he's probably guarding Kevin Durant in that situation, right? Like, usually he gets thrown out to your your best player, so he'd be guarding Durant. Um. We look at the Bucks. He's guarding Giannis. I mean, he's doing that anyway. He's guarding against the Celtics. Uh, who's technically the four for the the Celtics? Is it Jason Tatum? Um, you. Oh man, see with that, and again because they go so big with Al Horford and Robert Williams the third in the front mm-hmm. court. You know, it'd be, it would be interesting to see how they matched up. Yeah, that's, ideally, that's... ideally you want. Um, Jimmy Butler on either Tatum or or Jalen Brown. So right. that would, I don't know how it, how they would go about that particular matchup. Yeah, no, I, I forgot about I. I don't know why I just drew a blank with Robert Williams. Um, so yeah, that would be interesting. So then that's that's an area where you would kind of struggle coming up with defensive matchups. I'm trying to think of a, another situation like you know here with the Bulls. I mean, if he's guarding anybody on the Bulls, it's probably. I mean you. Ideally, they'd want him against DeRozan or Levine, but if size becomes an issue, well, I don't know, maybe you're putting, again, I'm just kind of spitballing, so Bulls fans are probably like pulling their hair out listening to this, like, what the hell are you talking about? But if you're looking at, if you're looking at this matchup, right, if Jimmy Butler's at the four for the Heat, based on this projected starting lineup, then you're probably, if you're Miami, you're saying... All right, throw throw an undersized Victor Oladipo at Patrick Williams and just hope to survive. And you kind of figure, well, until Patrick shows us that he's capable of being a, a legit scoring threat or consistent scoring threat, we'll make do. I think that that could work. Yeah, and and to the Heat's credit, I, I think that's kind of what they did to the Bulls last season. Um, yeah. Granted, the matchups were kind of mismatched because of injury, but I feel like they they said, okay, Nikola Vucevic, show me you can punish P.J. Tucker. Show me you can punish, mm-hmm. um, you know, Bam Adebayo. Show me you can punish Jimmy Butler. And they kind of just rolled the dice on that. And to their credit, they swept the Bulls last season. Again, not everybody played in every game, but they, they made out. <laughs> they made out mm-hmm. really well last year. Yeah. Their whole strategy, too, sometimes is it's not necessarily about one-on-one matchups. It's how you defend certain situations on the floor. And, like, if you can kind of find the, the opportunities to take advantage of one weak link in the in the starting lineup, that's where they probably are looking at. And also, look, in today's NBA, this kind of goes back to the whole idea of positionless basketball. Like, we're getting to a point where coaches are not just throwing their best guys on the floor no matter what position. So it's... It's interesting. Like that was one thing too. Like I went back and forth, but my reasoning, like just I always kind of trust, I guess, Eric Spolstra. Like that to me is one of the the best coaches in the league is Eric Spolstra. So I always err on giving him and and the Heat the benefit of the doubt as much as it pains me. I end up giving them probably the benefit of the doubt more than often. Yeah, yeah. And to your point about 
coaches just kind of going with the best guys on a, on on their team at certain points. I mean, we we see that in the playoffs every year. Um, we even saw it with the Bulls with Caruso kind of filling that that spot um, for Williams uh, in crunch time last season. Yeah, absolutely. And if we go back to the Raptors, as we were talking about Miami, I'm thinking about about that situation. Um, what's your thought on OG? So I haven't seen a whole lot of OG, but I know that for the last at least two years, it feels like Raptors fans have been waiting for him to take that next leap. And for whatever reason, it hasn't come yet. I don't know if Scotty Barnes has thrown a little bit of a wrench in his development Mm -hmm. in regards to just, you know, the amount of looks that he, he may have gotten or been able to get if there wasn't a player of, of Barnes's caliber on that roster on that team. So I don't know. It feels like they're just kind of waiting for him, to, almost like Patrick Williams. Uh, not, it's not apples to apples, but kind of just waiting for that next that next gear to be hit to see and that, what, what effect that has on, on the team and on the lineup. That's why I asked about him, because to me, he is their – to me, he's like their version of – Patrick Williams, but I mean, he has, if you just look at the raw numbers of, you know, the, the simple stuff like points, you'd say, oh, well, he's, he's better than Patrick Williams. But if you watch him, it, you're right. Like Scotty Barnes might've kind of surpassed him a bit or could be on track to surpass him. And I think that's kind of my thinking is if he's your possible weak link, that's not bad. I mean, that's that's a pretty good starting five. So I think that's what kind of tilted me over to to the Raptors. But OG might be like their and, and when I say weak link, like if you looked at the starting five, like when you look at where it could improve, I think it would be at the four. But yeah, it's I don't know about this 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 exercise was uh while it was entertaining and fun, it was also tricky. It for, is for that exact same reason, just kind of. Pre- kind of trying to project the leap that, that certain players can make next season. You know, the the OGs, the Patrick Williamses, the mm-hmm. um, Evan Mobleys of the world. So I, I'm, I'm there with you, man. It's I, like we like we said before we hopped on here um, offline, just talking about the the, the kind of <laughs> – now, I don't want to say stress because that's, that's too strong of a oh, word, but just the – <laughs> just the, the angst that we had trying to put this this list together and figure out where the Bulls kind of fell in the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference was it was crazy. It is hard because one of the things that we talked about too is like let's look at it in a vacuum with all things being equal. And you know, that kind of took more like injury into account and when I looked at the Raptors, you know, you you have Van Fleet and Siakam and that's pretty set. I think those are, you know, their two best players. Scotty Barnes, there was a lot to like last year with him. Gary Trent Jr. took a major step up and has done well since going to Toronto. And then OG, that I was like, well, I, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, he kind of has been, like, from this past season to the year before, kind of status quo, but still pretty decent. So I think that was just sort of my my decision, like, I, I could see this being a, another big year for Trent Jr. and a big year for Scotty Barnes. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It really is hard to go through these. But, yeah, like, 
if you had to take this, so let's let's kind of break this down. If you had to rank it um, in the Eastern Conference right now, so based off of our picks, if you had to rank our our picks, where would you go in terms of starting fives in the Eastern Conference? All right, so I've got the Celtics one, Bucks two, 76ers three, Nets four, Hawks five, Bulls six, Cavs seven, Heat eight, Raptors nine, Knicks ten, Hornets 11, Wizards 12, Pacers 13, Magic 14, and the Pistons 15. Like you, I have the Celtics and Bucks at 1 and 2. I have the Nets 3, Sixers 4, Hawks 5, Heat 6, Raptors 7, Cavs 8, Bulls 9, Knicks 10, Hornets 11, Wizards 12, Pacers 13, Magic, 14, Pistons, 15. So we have that bottom pretty much the exact same. So it's interesting. You have the Bulls at six. I have the Bulls at nine. For you at six, like that's where they technically as a team finished last year in in the Eastern Conference standings. Do you think our rankings are indicative of how the East will actually shape up? Or do you think that there might actually be more taking the whole roster into account, it could be a little different in the East. Oh man. That's a, that's a great question, man. Um, best case scenario. Wow. <laughs> I would probably say best case scenario for the bulls is, is I'm going to say the fifth seed. Mm. Oh man. <laughs> I think in terms of, where you have grouped the starting fives, I think that is that's that's got to be worst case. I don't I don't think they can. I don't think they'll drop as far as the tenth seed. I think you've got them at the starting five as um, the ninth best starting five in the Eastern Conference, and I think yeah that that would be as a team uh, the worst case scenario for them uh, going into next season. Dude, that, it's so funny. That's exactly what I was thinking as you know we were looking at our rankings here. I was thinking that exact same thing that might line up like how best case, worst case could be for the Bulls. Like somewhere hovering right around that top five. And, you know, they could easily, like you said, sneak in at number five. And then worst case, they can drop into that plan and, you know, outside the the top eight and into number nine. So we've seen the Eastern Conference improve. We're seeing teams get better, but... I think the Bulls are, are right in the thick. It's a tough Eastern Conference. This reminds me of what we used to see in the West for years. That real thin margin from top to bottom. So, yeah, I think it, it definitely it was an interesting exercise, and I really enjoyed kind of that activity. But one question I want to throw to you as we wrap up here, and I had I teased this a little earlier. If Lonzo Ball cannot stay healthy or has trouble becoming available early in the season or there's delays in him getting ready and you have to run with either Ayo Desumu or Goran Dragic as starting point guard how drastically does it change these rankings for you wow so earlier we called him kind of the the Bulls' engine and uh the reason why they can kind of ascend to higher levels in the Eastern Conference because of his three-point shooting and his defense and his ability to get the team out in fast break. So, wow, you, you take him off the floor. I think I immediately 
drop them below Cleveland and Miami and Toronto, and they they start to fall back into that that last tier of teams. But I I still think I would put them ahead of the Knicks, though. So I guess mm. where you ended up kind of having them as the ninth best, I think um, that's where they would would fall to if if Lonzo wasn't able to to stay healthy, and they ended up having to rely on Aldusumu again and and see what Goran Dragic could could give them. Because uh, that would mean he he would might he uh, could be in a position where he would give them more than a twenty to twenty five minutes a game that he was promised. So yeah, wow, yeah, I, yeah. I'm gonna try not to think about that. But what what do you <laughs> what um how, how far do you see them see the Bulls falling if 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 Lonzo Ball can't go? I think honestly, I would in terms of just comparing the starting five. I think I I would keep them somewhere still in that range. I mean. I don't think the the Knicks necessarily still pass them up, but yeah, I think it would be, I think just in terms of how it taxes the rest of your roster too, you know, because then you're moving guys that who might strengthen your bench, they become your starting lineup and, you know, it, it might be able to hold serve, especially if IO takes a, a big step and doesn't have a sophomore slump and, you know, Goran Dragic, you know, say what you want about him. He could be a bit streaky. He's older, but he is a pro and he is somebody that can definitely hold down the fort and has been a starter in this league. I think on the defensive end is where you take that hit. So yeah, I'm kind of in that, that boat where they probably in terms of a, a full team, not just the starting five, but full team might slip down a bit into, you know, definitely being a more of a play in team in that like nine ten range. And I like I don't want to make everybody sad, but it was just something that I was you know thinking about during this that discussion about the starting five for the Bulls. No, it's a good point, man. It's it's um you know it, it sucks that we even have to kind of talk about it in in this way, but I mean it's it's it could be the reality that faces the Bulls and and Bulls fans. So it's important to bring it up and kind of throw that into the equation, you know. God forbid it, it ends up being the case, but, you know, prepare for all things, right? Yeah. Hey, let me let me end on a uh, – let's end on a slightly more positive note. How about this? If Patrick Williams does take a, a major step, like let's say has that – like a most improved player step, where, do, where could that catapult the Bulls? Like could we then be saying, all right, this is more of a, you know, top five starting five, you know, maybe at like – number three, number four, because you're adding a solid contributor to a lineup that features Levine, DeMar DeRozan, a solid center, Nikola Vucevic, and then a glue guy like Lonzo Ball. Could that catapult them into that top tier we were talking about where there's you know, a little more of a gap right now? So I'm going to answer your question, or I'm going to pose a question uh, to the question that you presented me. Are we talking... So I, I just want to say that the most improved player last year was was John Morant, who was in the MVP discussion at one point or another last season. So are mm. we saying like a like that type of leap or more of a? Um... Yeah, let me let me let me reset it a little bit. So let's go with like a Jimmy Butler style most improved player. Like remember when he went from that I think third year in the league and his second year as a starter. And he was kind of averaging, I think, just under 10 points a game. And then he took a leap to where he was averaging about 20. 
So maybe maybe not quite there. Let's say a little bit below that. Like let's say he's, you know, showing a lot on defense. He's much more efficient and maybe averaging about 16, 17 a game. Does that catapult them or does it have to be a little bit bigger than that? No, no. I think 17, I think, is a, a pretty high bar for him to hit. Not one that he can't hit, but just kind of a, a, you know, that would be quite an achievement for him to be able to do that. And I think if, if he does, if he becomes that that kind of player next season, then I would think that the Bulls might be able to to host a, a playoff series next season. That's my thinking, too. If he does take that step, it does change the dynamic of your starting lineup because now you have a young up-and-coming player. So, like, that's that would be huge. Um, and I think it just kind of underscores the point, like, with two things here. Lonzo Ball's health, Patrick Williams' development. It continues to be kind of that lingering two storylines. And I know it probably sound like a broken record a lot, and maybe some of our listeners are like, dude, Matt, we get it. Like, we get it. But it does. It really emphasizes that, that both those things are definitely important for taking this team as it's currently constructed to that next step. Yeah, when when the front office decided to roll the dice on continuity, they they also kind of simultaneously are banking on these top guys staying healthy and also guys like Patrick Williams and Ayo Sumu taking another step forward, um, as well as even somebody like Zach Levine, uh, who is still in this prime. He's coming off an injury, but all signs point to him being healthy. You know, he's – He's doing uh, his dunk contest reject uh, attempts in practice and showing it off for the world to see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're banking on DeMar, again, kind of playing more of the way he did last season and not taking too much of a step backwards. And, and Nikola Vucevic just just being a, a better a better shooter and a better finisher around the rim. So, well, it, it can happen. It's just I feel like there's – there's a few ifs floating around yeah. this team. Well, and there's another if, and again, I'm, I'm bringing it down a little bit. Uh, forgive me. There's also the if of, is DeMar DeRozan going to be that same DeMar DeRozan we got last year? Because he is getting older, and it, it might not be like a, a seismic drop-off, but, I mean, it could be coming down to earth a little bit next year. It's possible where maybe he's a little less efficient and scoring maybe just – 21, 22 points a game. That's still very good, but this was a guy that was an all-star on an all-NBA track. It's possible that that could come down too. So you even would want to see like some of that development from Patrick Williams just to make up for that potential downtick from from DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, and I don't, for what it's worth, I don't, I don't think, I don't see him having like a, a huge drop-off next season. I think you know, like you said, his efficiency may dip a little bit. He may not be the same type of kind of guaranteed bucket and clutch situations that he was last year. But then again, you know, that might open the door for Zach where yeah, Zach can take kind of the lead in, in those type of situations because he was not too far behind DeMar in, I want to say, in, in total point, point scored in the clutch uh, before his injury. So that's a dynamic that'll be interesting to watch. It'll be fun to watch to see how they continue to learn from and, and play off each other and to see if Zach Levine uh, can kick it into another gear. You know, um, I, I wanted to put a bow on this. And one thing that I want to uh, 
mention here, and I totally forgot about this, with now you being the co-host of this podcast, does that mean we get to inherit the Lonzo Ball cornrows versus fro statistic that you made very famous on Twitter? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. No doubt about it. <laughs> I will well, be Trust me, whenever this, whenever Lonzo Ball gets back on the court, I will be more than happy to update these these uh, these stats that I've been um, trying to keep for him. Dude, like that, that's the one thing I'm looking forward to the most with the Bulls starting lineup is having that statistic readily available for each episode. I think there should be a dedicated segment with music <laughs> that leads into. I love it. it. I love it. I'm I'm mad he cut his hair. I wish he would have kept yeah. it long. So hey, now now you can kind of track that too. If he shaves, if he does anything, you you can just keep tabbing it. I love it though. I got it. I got it. I'm your man. I got you. That's awesome. Uh, any any final thoughts or final words? Um just excited, man. Just excited. I know that a large part of this offseason, uh, you and I are just Bulls fans in general have talked about how disappointing this offseason has been, but you know, for what it's worth, the front office took their home run swing a, a summer ago. So, you know, there's only so many of those you can you ha- you can have kind of lying around um, as a front office. Uh, and I'm still excited about this season, even though it doesn't seem like they're going to be in that stratosphere with the best teams in the Eastern Conference. You know, you never know if if mm-hmm. guys can stay healthy, if guys can take steps. Um, this is the most excited I've been for Patrick Williams since he's been in the league. I don't know what, I don't know why that is, but I'm just really excited to see what he can do and how he, how he develops this year. I'm hoping that he can stay healthy. Um, cause I think that he does have another, another rung on the ladder to hit for sure. I don't think he's done growing. I've seen a few people, not a lot, but a few people call him a bust. And I just think that's this downright outrageous i think that's that's um you know to call him a bust after playing 93 games his first two seasons on a team where he's not asked to be the lead guy um i believe one or two of his summers were impacted if i'm not mistaken so um i just think there's there's a lot of room for him to grow and i want to see what he can do yeah, it'll definitely be exciting, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, how his development can impact the starting five. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And like doing this exercise, Drew, like it did kind of underscore two things: that the uncertainty that you brought up earlier in the rest of the Eastern Conference, especially when you look at Brooklyn, that can change this whole dynamic and discussion. And the other thing too is maybe things aren't as bad. As you know, even I was thinking, or as other Bulls fans are thinking, like that's one thing I kept looking at is thinking, you know, it's actually the the margin's pretty thin when it comes to to the starting five. So as we wrap up here, just remember you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at mgentil88. You can follow Drew at look what Drew did. Still one of my favorite Twitter handles. I will always repeat that on every episode, probably. Um, until Drew tells me to stop. So never, um, never, never gets old. Never gets old. <laughs> I, I freaking love that handle. And of course, 
You can follow the Rebuildable podcast at rebuild underscore a underscore bowl. With Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.